Let's bow together. Father, again, we just praise you and thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege we have to sing your praises and now to declare your excellencies. I do pray, Lord God, that you would bless your word as it goes out. And I pray that we would receive it as you desire for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, throughout our lives, uh, there are sometimes situations that we are presented with that have the potential of changing our lives completely. Situations where one uh, circumstance happens and how we respond will uh, determine the direction of our lives. Now, as we look uh, towards this Christian Christmas season, as we look towards this time where we celebrate the birth of Christ, um, there's one thing that each and every one of us is presented with, not just during this season, but uh, throughout our lives. And it is, what will we do uh, with Jesus? How will we respond? And our response determines our destiny. Now today, we're going to continue our break from our Colossians series. We're going to look in Luke chapter 2. So would you turn there with me to Luke chapter 2? And we're going to be looking at verses 25 to 35. And we're going to see the laying forth or the presentation of baby Jesus. Now, as we come to the Gospel of Luke today, uh, this is Luke's inspired account in which he says in chapter 1, uh, it happened, it's brought forth after all of his investigating everything carefully and writing in consecutive order. We see that inspired by the Spirit. And the Gospel of Luke is about Christ, uh, the Savior, Christ the Lord. And the first chapter of Luke, Luke presents the forerunner, John the Baptist, who would prepare the way uh, concerning the Lord Jesus, the Savior. And intertwined within that presentation of John the Baptist, Luke also chronicles the angel Gabriel's announcement of the birth of the Son of the Most High to Mary, a virgin who will conceive. And from this announcement, we have um, Mary's greeting of Elizabeth, in which she responds with her soul exalting the Lord and rejoicing in God, her Savior. Then in chapter 2, we have a detailed account of the birth of Jesus and we have an angel bringing the good news to the shepherds that a Savior has been born for them who is Christ the Lord. And then we have the response of the heavenly hosts, praising God, giving glory to God in the highest. And then from there, the shepherds go to the manger and find it exactly as they were told. And they make the statement uh, to the, that the angel shared to Mary and Joseph. And Mary treasured these things. And then the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God. And it's from this point we come to um, a portion of Scripture in which we're going to be challenged to what is our response to the presentation of Jesus. Okay, Luke chapter 2. And let me go back a little bit to verse 21 for context. Luke chapter 2. And when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days uh, for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, 
And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, I want to just share the immediate context as I read just briefly a minute ago. But we see in verse 21 that Jesus was given the name to which both Mary and Joseph were told to name him. And Jesus was then circumcised according to the law. Verse 21, in eight days... When eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, usually at this time, circumcision was done in the home, and it's on the eighth day that, that they would name the child. So we have, uh, we see that also in chapter one with the naming of John the Baptist. That's when he was named. His name shall be John, right? That's what said in chapter one. And with this, uh, we have Jesus' parents uh, doing exactly what they're supposed to do, uh, naming him according to what they were told by the, the Lord through the angel. And then he was circumcised. So they're not in Jerusalem yet. They're actually home. It's at this point, Jesus' parents, in obedience to the law, go to Jerusalem to present him before the Lord. But they couldn't do that because uh, there was a purification by the law of Moses that needed to be done. Look at verse 22. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were complete, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, in Leviticus chapter 12, it required the ceremonial purification of the mother after the birth of a child. Then afterwards, an offering would be given. And in this ceremonial purification for the male child, the mother would be unclean for seven days. She would not be able to enter the sanctuary for another 33 days. And the time doubles for a female child. Leviticus chapter 12. So then, all this to say that Jesus was about 40 days old. 40 days old when he was brought to the temple to be presented. We know God took in human flesh. We know that. And, and, and God, uh, the Lord Jesus, uh, was 40 days old in humanity. Amazing, amazing thought. And he was brought then to the temple to be presented. Look at verse 22. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So we see here in Exodus chapter 13 and Numbers 18 that every firstborn was called holy to the Lord. Was to be, they were to be set apart and presented to the Lord. Uh, and that was, uh, they, that was a reminder. Okay, hello. <laughs> and that was a reminder 
of what God had done when they had been redeemed from Israel, where that he put the, the, they were to put the blood over the doorpost and the firstborn was spared in that context. And so a price was paid. It all points what Christ would do for us. And so Mary and Joseph uh, bring Jesus at about 40 days old to the temple to be presented to the Lord. And notice they offer the sacrifices according to the law. Verse 24, and to offer the sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or young pigeons. And on a side note here, we see from Leviticus 12 that this reveals that Mary and Joseph were not wealthy. They were not wealthy. What they gave was an indication that they're not wealthy in that context, but they obeyed the Lord. They obeyed the Lord. So the Lord Jesus is about six weeks old, and we see here that uh, they came to uh, carry out the custom of the law. Look down in uh, verse 27. It speaks of... Uh, of uh Simeon, which we'll look at in a minute, and when they had, and when he and he came in the spirit into the temple when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, they were obeying the law. And then down in uh, verse thirty nine, verse thirty nine, Luke two two, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city Nazareth. They were obeying the law. They're obeying God's word. They're obeying God's word. And so we have Mary and Joseph in obedience to God's word, going to the temple to present him to the Lord as the firstborn, to to offer him up in that sense. Um, And we see here they're doing so. And then at this point, something amazing happens. Something amazing happens. Verse 25, and behold. And so Luke is saying, hey, take a look. Look here. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. We see here, he says, behold, and he says, this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, we saw last week in the book of Matthew that Israel was in unbelief, that they, when when the Magi came, they should have been all excited and said, hey, uh, he's he's been born, let's go, let's go look for him. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, let's go take a look. But they didn't. And we saw that that generation, the generation that would be there when Christ uh, came on the scene, we see, uh, was in unbelief also. They would be yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And so here we have someone who is quite different than the generation. It says this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's quite a statement by Luke, inspired by the Spirit. What would Luke say about you or I, you know, if it was the same time, right? Well, about Simeon here, says first of all that he was righteous. God through Luke declares that he was a righteous man. Now we know from the Old Testament quoted, and also in the New Testament, Romans 3, that there are none righteous, not even one. So how can this man be righteous? Well, obviously he is righteous because he has a relationship with the living God through faith in the seed of Abraham, the one in whom he would hold in a minute, the one who would die for his sins. And so he is righteous, just like we are righteous when we believe in Jesus Christ. And if we believe in Jesus Christ, we now have a relationship with him and we're going to manifest his character. We're going to be righteous per se in our deeds. We still mess up if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but we're going to manifest his character. So Simeon is described here as righteous, as righteous. And then also notice it says he is devout. 
devout. And this is interesting. It's an interesting word. Luke uses it, and it's found only here in in the book of Acts. And it speaks of literally taking hold well, being cautious and careful. It speaks of being cautious and careful in this idea of his walk with the Lord, being devout. Now, this is lost in churches these days. Not many devout or cautious in their walk with the Lord. But Simeon is a believer who is careful. Now, he's elderly, as we're going to say, and he is careful and cautious about his walk in the Lord. And I ask this question to myself and to you. Are you cautious about your walk? Are you are you thinking about it? Are you cautious? Are you running it through your head, the truth of God, that you'd be careful to, to trust him and, and, and obey him? So notice we have a righteous and devout man, Simeon, and notice middle of verse 25, it says he was, or the end, he was looking for the consolation of Israel. A righteous, devout man who was continually, habitually, that's what the tense is, looking for or waiting for, waiting for, you could translate it that way, the consolation of Israel. And so you say, well, what is the consolation of Israel? What is that? The term paraclesis. We have the term paraclete, comforter, in John. This term paraclesis, it speaks of comfort or help. It speaks of comfort. We see the, the Spirit of God as the helper, right? So this word speaks of comfort or help. And so he's looking for the comfort of Israel. And the context here, as we will see, is in the context of redemption. You see, Old Testament saints knew really well, because they were surrounded by those who didn't believe in Israel, they knew really well that Israel had rejected the Lord. They understood that, and they would certainly understand it really well when it was called for him to be crucified. Old Testament saints understood that Israel was in unbelief, and they were looking for a time that would come through the Redeemer in which Israel would be comforted through redemption. Isaiah 40, uh, verse verse 1. Let's turn there, Isaiah 40, middle of your Bibles, Isaiah And all throughout the Old Testament, you see Israel's unbelief, but yet God's faithfulness. In spite of their unbelief, God bringing forth a a, a Savior. Uh, And so these people are godly. This guy's a godly guy. He's looking for the comfort or consolation. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Isaiah 40. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. And call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed. Looking for the consolation of Israel, the comfort that when Israel gets saved, that's what he's looking for. That's what he's looking for. That she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. They were looking for that. They were looking for the Lord's coming. They were looking for the consolation of Israel. And so you've got Simeon, a true believer, who's waiting for what God had promised in the word. He's waiting for it in spite of all the the disobedience and evil and apathy around him. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's looking forward to the one in whom it would come through. It would come through a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So indeed, we see later on, after this account of Simeon, we have the account of Anna, the prophetess in Luke here, a godly, elderly widow serving in the temple day and night. And Scripture says she spoke of him, speaking of the Lord. And then the end of verse 38, to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. There was a remnant of people who were looking for Israel and Jerusalem to be redeemed from their sins. They knew they were messed up. It's like we look at America today. We go, this country is messed up. We need to repent. We look at that. We see that. And certainly they saw that with Israel. And so they were looking for the one who would bring redemption, the one who would bring comfort. You see, it is only through Jesus Christ when you believe in him that you are comforted in the context of forgiveness of sins. And so we have this small remnant, uh, Simeon being one of them, looking for uh, the consolation of Israel. He's, he's there. He's in, the, he's, in the, he's in the temple. Then notice, he was a good guy besides being righteous man, devout. Notice, here's really what's going on underneath. Look at verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. A man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And in the end, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, we know in this church age that when we believe, we receive the Spirit to indwell us. But in the Old Testament, the Spirit came upon those who were true believers. We see that. We see that. And here it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. And you could say it this way, literally in Greek, the Holy Spirit had been continually and perpetually upon him. It was continual. It wasn't, it wasn't as though it was hit and miss. He was continually upon him. This is a true believer in whom we will see is yielded to God and his spirit, God's spirit, had continually on him. And notice verse 26, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. The Holy Spirit had revealed to this true believer he wouldn't die, he's elderly obviously, before he had seen, looked upon the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ. We know God spoke in many ways, in many portions. Back in the Old Testament, we know that he was chapter 1, and somehow the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon this, that this would happen, and so that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, the term Christ is not a last name. It is, it is a title. Jesus uh, means the Lord is salvation, Christ is, is, is a title speaking of the anointed one, the Messiah. And here we have it spoke of the Lord's promised Redeemer King who would rule the Lord's Christ. And so verse 27, and he came into the, in the spirit into the temple. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And this Old Testament saint was led by the spirit. He came into this temple by the spirit. He was a yielded man, I believe, righteous and devout. And now we, New Testament believers, have the Spirit of God within us, and we can choose whether we are yielded to his, his leading and his prompting, whether we yield to his speaking to us through the Word of God. We can choose that. And so then, we walk now in accordance to the Spirit with his Word, and we can yield to that and have the Lord direct our thoughts and actions if we desire. And so here, he came into the Spirit, came into the, in the Spirit into the temple, now, as I study this, the question would be, why so much about his character? Why so much about the spirit leading him? Why so much about that? 
Well, I think the answer comes in that what he's going to share is not from him. It's from the Spirit of God. That's the important part. It's laying the groundwork to say this is a guy who's yielded to the Spirit of God. He's yielded to God. He's devout and righteous. And what he says, as we will see, comes from the Lord, as we'll see. And lastly, notice he was a submissive servant. Look down at verse 29. This is at the end of this portion. He says, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. He calls himself the Lord's bondservant. And it's interesting, the word he uses here, you can't see it in the, in the, in the English, but you might have a note about it. It's not curios, which speaks of Lord. It's despota. It speaks of an absolute master. He's saying, Now, my absolute master, I can depart in peace. He's somebody that's yielded. He sees the Lord as his master, absolute sovereign over his life. You know, and that's what happens when we come to faith in Christ. We recognize, hey, you're in charge and you're good. And I want you to, to lead me and guide me. And we, we, we submit to God. We submit to God. So then we have a wonderful picture of a godly man, Simeon, righteous, devout, careful in his walk, led by the Spirit, humble, waiting for the fulfillment of the promises concerning Christ regarding the forgiveness of sins, and he sees himself as a servant of the absolute sovereign. He sees that. Now my question would be, uh, would God describe us that way? You see, if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are that way when we yield to Christ. When we yield to him, we are. We need to yield to him more often. We need to yield to his spirit. We need to trust him and obey him. Okay, so we have a good picture of this man. Then notice the response of Simeon, the believer, to seeing baby Jesus, his salvation. Verse 27, And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, and we'll look at what he says in a minute. So then, the Spirit has made known to him that this baby that Mary and Joseph had brought in in obedience to the Lord was actually the Lord himself, the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. And so Simeon takes this six-week-old baby, Jesus, in his arms. And how does he respond? Verse 28, And he t- Simeon took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word for my eyes have seen thy salvation this is amazing we have simeon holding jesus 40 year old 40 40 40 week 40 day old excuse me uh, god who took in human flesh 40 days old and he's he fully acknowledges that god has kept his word He told him that he would not depart before he had seen the Lord's Christ, and he has seen him, and God has kept his word. God is faithful to his promises, folks. He is faithful to everything he has said, and we need to believe what he said and trust in him. And he says here he can depart in peace now, for, verse 30, my eyes are because my eyes have seen thy salvation. This is the means in which you're going to save people. It is through this child who would grow up and die for our sins. God who took on human flesh, who would live the perfect life and go to the cross and die for our sins and rise from the dead. He says, my eyes have seen thy salvation. You see, man is sinful. We're all sinful. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
we all are in need of salvation and uh, we just need to be saved from his righteous judgment for sin. And God has provided the means of salvation through his son Jesus. You see, God took on human flesh. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh, John 1, 14, and dwelt among us. God took on human flesh. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, Galatians 4, 4. This is the Christmas story, right? And you might remember what the angel Gabriel said to Joseph concerning a Mary. Matthew 1, 21, and she will bear a son, and you shall name his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. God, the Son, the Lord of all, took on human flesh, the Lord of salvation. That's what Jesus means. And this godly Old Testament saint, Simeon, was waiting for the redemption or consolation of Israel that would come through the person of Jesus Christ. This is what Christmas is about. Then he took him into his arms, verse 28, and blessed God. That means to speak well of God, to bless if I speak and I bless you, I'm speaking well of you. Spokes well. Now thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. I've seen it. You kept your promise, God. You kept your promise. I can depart now. You see, this child that he was holding in his hands was the Messiah, was the Lord Christ. He is the Savior, God the Savior. You see, the amazing reality is that God took on human flesh to save us and that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. You might remember when Jesus came to the woman at the well and she he was trying to get out of her sinfulness in that little discussion there, but then she went and talked to the people in town and, and they heard the truth and they believed. And they came back and they said in John 4, 4.42, and they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because what you said that we believe, for we have heard it ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. First Timothy 4.10, for it is this we labor and strive, Paul writes, because we fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially believers. Jesus Christ is the Savior of all men. Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there was no other name under that which has been given among men that we must be saved. It is Jesus Christ who is salvation. The person of Jesus Christ, the Lord, is salvation. It's amazing. Do you realize this is what Christmas is about? It's about the Lord is salvation. It's about Jesus Christ. Now notice, Simeon continues to bless, declaring truth about uh, this baby in his arms. He says, for, verse 30, For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou, 31, has prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So he has this six-week-old baby named Jesus in his arms, to which he has identified as the Lord's Christ and thy salvation. And notice he says, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples. God made ready, the term prepared speaks of being made ready, and it's in a Greek tense that means it's a done deal. It's a done deal. God has prepared, made ready uh, his salvation. And it's in the person of Christ. 
And notice he has done it in the presence of all peoples, or literally before the face of all peoples. Well, what's being said here? Salvation in Jesus Christ is not hidden. It's before all. As we'll see, God took on human flesh. It's not hidden. It's not hidden. And then notice he describes the baby Jesus, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Now, this is kind of a difficult phrase to unpack in the original language. It could be something like a light of revelation to the Gentiles and then to the glory of my people Israel. That's certainly true. Or it could be Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a light for glory to Israel. Well, we're not really sure what it is, but I think these, everything here is, is true. And if you take the concept and look at it biblically speaking, we see, first of all, that Jesus is a light of revelation concerning salvation to everyone. He is how we get saved. Look, at, actually turn to John. Gospel of John, and I want to come into verse 4 of the Gospel of John. Oh, it's so wonderful to be reminded of these truths, isn't it? So wonderful. John chapter 1, verse 4. And in him, this is speaking of the one of God who created everything, and, and the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and the word was God, right? Speaking of Jesus. And in him was life, verse 4, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The Jews were sitting in darkness, in the sin, the shadow of death, and the light shone. There came a man sent from God, his name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light, that all men might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came that he might bear witness of the light. There was a true light coming into the world, enlightens, enlightens every, which enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, that's the Jews, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Later on, chapter 8 of the book of John, um, Gospel of John, verse 12, Jesus is speaking. He said, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world, he said. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He says he's the light of the world. John twelve forty six. you can note this down or turn it quick, but I'm going to move to the next one quick, too. Uh, John twelve forty six. I have come as light into the world and that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. Now, although Jesus is certainly a light of revelation to everyone, I believe our passage specifically points first to that he is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. That's the ethnos, that's the non-Jews. There's the Jews and there's the Gentiles. And he's saying that Jesus is the light of revelation. It is Jesus himself that that illumines the truth concerning salvation. It is in him we are saved. Now, this is an amazing statement being spoken by a Jew at this time, by the way, by Simeon, because the majority of Jews didn't believe the Messiah was for anyone but them. And they believed that it was for them and thus for them and for however they wanted to perceive him to, to relieve the burden of Rome or whatever it might be. They were very prejudiced at that time. They wanted someone to deliver from their bondage, but not from their sin. 
And so Simeon, inspired by the Spirit of God, reveals this babe in his arms, Jesus, thy salvation, in context is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Now, the mainstream unbelieving Jew wouldn't get this, but God had made it clear in his word beforehand that his truth would go to Gentiles. Praise the Lord. I'm a Gentile. You may or may not be one, but praise the Lord it came to us, right? You can look at, I'll, I'll read Isaiah 9 for you. Isaiah 9. Actually, let's turn there. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Isaiah 9, verse 1, But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. He's talking about Galilee of the Gentiles. He's talking about a Gentile area. He's saying, guess what? Gentiles are going to see a great light. They're going to see a great light. And God had made it clear through Isaiah that the Messiah would go to Gentiles. And remember, you might remember uh, Jonah's attitude towards Gentiles. He didn't like the Ninevites at all. He knew God was compassionate. He would save him. He didn't want to go there because he didn't like them. The Jews did not like the Gentiles, certainly because of their sin. And we can have that wrong attitude, too. We can look at those around us who are in their sin, not saved, and we hate the sin, but then we start to kind of hate them, and that's the wrong part, right? We need to hate the sin. We don't hate the person. We hate the sin. So then, Isaiah made it clear that the Messiah would go to the Gentiles, and not that it was the Messiah was not just for Israel, but for Gentiles. A little farther down, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 42, verse 5. It's all throughout the Old Testament. That, it, that Messiah is not just Israel's re- redeemer. It's for the Gentiles too. Isaiah 42, verse 5. Thus says the Lord God who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its, off- and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Wow, there we go. That's pretty clear. Um, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will uphold you by the hand and watch over you. I, and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from a prison. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor praise to graven images. And a little farther, and I'll just read this for you. Isaiah 52, verse 10. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. Front of all, to the ends of the earth, that they might see the salvation of our God. Very clear. And then later on, the book of Acts makes it clear that God is going to bring it forth. Turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13. He's going to make it forth, bring it forth, his salvation in the presence of everyone. Everyone's going to be able to see it. It's quite interesting. You know, there's not one person who can't say, I don't know who Jesus is. If you don't know who he is, it's because of willful ignorance, not because you can't find out. The Word of God is out there. The Bible's the best-selling book in the world. The Word of God is out there, and there are believers sharing Christ. And there are churches that share Christ. It's out there. Acts chapter 13, verse 44. And the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the Word of God. Well, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. 
And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary for the word of God to be spoken to you first, that's speaking of Jews, since you repudiate it and judge for yourselves, unwor- judge yourselves unworthy for eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For thus the Lord has commanded us. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. He's quoting that passage we saw. And when the Gentiles heard this, guess what they did? They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Hey, praise the Lord. Hey, salvation has come to us too, right? And as many had been appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. Jesus Christ is the light of revelation concerning salvation. If you want someone to get saved, you need to talk about Jesus, about who he is and what he has done. The gospel is about Jesus, who who who, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. It's about Jesus. We're sinners and we need a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. A light of revelation concerning salvation. He took in human flesh, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, rose from the dead, and through him, the true light, the gospel, his, his gospel enlightens every man concerning sin and himself, the Savior. He is the light of the world. If you believe in him, he will deliver you from your sin. You'll receive salvation. So Simeon understood, inspired by the Spirit, that not only Jesus was the light to the Gentiles, our salvation, notice back in our passage, he is also the glory of thy people Israel. End of verse 32. You see, God made a covenant with Israel. He was their glory. Yet we know through their disobedience in Ezekiel, the glory departed the temple. A symbolic manifestation of God's presence departed. But yet we see God's glory had returned to Israel in bodily form and was in their midst. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, John 1.14. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Simeon is saying here, Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people, Israel. Concerning salvation, Jesus is the savior of the world. He is the complete focus of the glorious gospel and he is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people, Israel. We read this earlier, but... uh uh, yeah, you could turn there again. Second Corinthians chapter four. It's a glorious reality who he is. It's a glorious reality. That glory has gone past. It's the glory of Israel, but we we are those who see it in the scriptures and see it through the truth of the gospel. Second Corinthians four verse three. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. You might remember we went through Second Corinthians, and Paul is addressing the false, slanderous accusations against him. Evidently, one was, "Hey, no one's getting saved." Paul. He says, "Well, even if it's veiled, gospel's veiled. It's veiled to those who are perishing." Then he says, "In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not." Here we go. See the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. Boy, we need to learn that. And ourselves as your bond servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness. He's the one who said light be and light was. 
He brought about the first creation by speaking it into existence. He has spoken us into existence through the word of God, the gospel concerning Jesus Christ. He says, if for God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. You ever wonder, why does God leave us in these bodies of flesh we're not glorified yet? Why? Well, I hate this. I, I'm like Paul. I want, I want to get out. I want, when will, when will I be set free from this? And that's a good desire because we look forward to that. But he said we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the power will be of God and not of us. It eliminates pride in our sinful context, right? Sure does. So back to our passage here. We have the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. God took on human flesh, lived the perfect life, died for our sins, and he has shown that truth into our hearts. Don't reject it. This little babe that Simeon is holding in his hands is the savior of the world. Savior of the world. The Lord has placed Jesus before us all to see. He has made known his salvation, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles. I'll read this for you, Psalm 98, verse 2. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. It's out there. The truth is out there. Truth concerning our, our, our Lord Jesus Christ. It has been revealed. There may be some of you today who are still in prison prison in your sins, misery. You dwell in darkness, but you're blind to your eternal destiny. But it's through Jesus Christ that our eyes are open to our, to our sinfulness and our need for him. That's what Christmas is all about. God who took on human flesh to save. So then we have this tremendous declaration and blessing of God, Simeon declaring the glorious truth concerning the babe, only 40 days old, who is the Savior. And notice, uh, Mary and Joseph were amazed. I think we'd be amazed too. Verse 33, back in our passage, Luke 2. And his father and his mother, that's Mary and Joseph, were amazed at the things that were being said about him. They're amazed. Joseph had already been told and knew that the child conceived in Mary was of the Holy Spirit, right? Joseph had been told by the angel that he should name him Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. Indeed, Mary when she was a virgin, had been told that what she would conceive in her womb would be the Holy Spirit, that he would be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord would give him the throne of his father David, and that the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And she had said she was, that they said that she, the angel said she was blessed among women, and she blessed said that, and blessed in the fruit of her womb, Luke chapter 1. And after Jesus had been born, Mary and Joseph were told by the shepherds all that had been told to them by the angel. And now, 40 days later, they're receiving more revelation through Simeon, and they're amazed. They're amazed. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Not only is Jesus the Messiah and Savior for the Jews, he's the Savior of the world for the Gentiles also, this little babe Simeon is holding. So how about you? Do you marvel? Are you amazed? that God would become a man, that he would, uh, through his son, uh, bring salvation to us, that God the Son would grow up, live the perfect life, sinless, spotless Lamb of God, and die for our sins. 
and rise on the third day. When we think of Christmas, we should marvel. should marvel at God's salvation that was brought through this little child, God who took on human flesh, became a man and died for our sins and rose from the dead. So Simeon's been speaking well and blessing God, declaring truth concerning the Savior in his arms. And notice he also responds by blessing Mary and Joseph directly. 34, verse 34. And Simeon blessed them, that's Mary and Joseph, and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will even pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts for many hearts will be revealed. He's, he's blessing them both, but then he turns to Mary and says, Mary, this is the, this is something you need to hear. So here, Simeon blessed them, speaking to Mary and Joseph, and then he speaks directly to Mary, Jesus' mother. And it's interesting because in the book of Luke, up to this point, there has only been good news. It's been good news all the way up to this point. Good news concerning the Savior. Good news, good news, good news. But here we have some bad news. Many will fall in Israel, and there will be opposition and a sword. And when we begin to unravel this, uh, notice he says the child has been appointed for two things. Behold, the child is appointed or placed. It means laid. It's the same word spoken of that said laid in a manger, placed. He's been placed, appointed um, for two things, the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. This salvation in his hands, this Jesus in his hands, in his arms, will bring about the fall and rise of many in Israel. In contrast to the Gentiles whom he will offer salvation, Israel will be divided and men will rise or fall based on Christ. And I believe specifically he's speaking of Israelites who will fall into judgment or rise into salvation based on their response to Jesus Christ. You're either going to stumble over Jesus or you're going to be saved by him. There is no other option. He is the only Savior. Listen to what Isaiah says concerning him. Let me find this. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13. It is the Lord of hosts you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear. He shall be your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary, both to the houses of Israel, to the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many will stumble over them, and they will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. Our passage points out that the Messiah, uh, for the Gentiles, but in contrast to that, would be one appointed for the rise and fall of many, based on your response. Now, this also applies to the Gentiles, too. Peter says this in First Peter, that... Uh, Behold, I lay in Zion, 1 Peter 2, 6, a precious cornerstone. He who believes in him should not be disappointed. And then he says here, this precious value is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they're disobedient to the word and to this doom they were appointed. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll not be ashamed or disappointed. But if you reject him, you will stumble over him to your eternal doom. It's all about this this child. 
God who would take on human flesh and grow up and die for your sins and rise from the dead on the third day. Jesus will be your eternal downfall if you reject him. He will be your source of salvation if you believe in him. He has been appointed by God as such. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Christmas is a wonderful yet serious thing because it points to the birth of our Savior, the one in whom everyone is to be saved, or by rejecting will stumble to eternal damnation. So what's your response? Your response reveals your eternal destiny. Notice, not only has he been laid in Zion as babe placed in Israel for the rise and fall of many, he was also placed back in our passage as a sign to be opposed. A sign points to something. A sign points to something. Obviously, it pointed to the fact of who he was and what he would do for us, right? He's the Savior. And a sign to be opposed. The term opposed, anti-lego, speaks of being spoken against, contradicted, opposed, characterized by rejection. This babe who would come to Israel would be a sign that's characterized by opposition. He came to his own, but those who were his own did not receive him. Right? Listen to this parable, and actually you can turn it because it's, it's a little longer, but turn to this parable in, Matthew, parable, parable in Matthew chapter 21 concerning Israel's rejection of him. And I said listen to the parable, but it says right in the beginning of this, listen to the parable. <laughs> Matthew 21, verse 33. Listen to another parable. 21, verse 33. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it, built a tower and rented out the, to vine growers and went on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he, yes, he sent his slaves to, be vine, to the vine growers to receive his produce. And the vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. And he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out in the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with those vine growers? They said to him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, and he will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. Jesus said, Did you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom will be taken away from you, and it will be given to another nation, producing fruit of it. And he who falls in the stone will be broken to pieces, but whoever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. A sign to be opposed. His ministry, his life would be characterized by opposition. He still is opposed. Characterized by opposition. Thus being crushed. No one can be neutral. You're either for Christ or you're against him. You either receive forgiveness of sins or you're still in your sins. This babe was placed for the rise and fall of many and assigned to be opposed. And yet it's through this very opposition that God would use that to bring about our salvation. 
Verse 34, And Simeon blessed him and said to his mother Mary, Behold, the child is appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel, and a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul. Here we have in the beginning of verse 35 a parenthetical statement. A Simon, Simeon, Simeon, interjects, I say Simon, I'm Simeon. If I said Simon, I mean Simeon. Simeon interjects this before he finishes his blessing. And a sword will pierce even your own soul. The implication is that the opposition Jesus would have would pierce even her soul. The term sword spoke of a wide sword, a broad sword. And it appears it's speaking of the grief that Mary would experience in her soul because of the opposition to Jesus, eventually leading him to crucify him. Mary prophetically is going to experience deep sorrow because of the opposition that Jesus would face. You know, on a side note, I'm not going to read these passages for time's sake, but on a side note, um, we're going to be opposed by the world. We're going to suffer opposition. John 15, Philippians 1, Matthew 5. But we need to rejoice that uh, rejoice for our reward in heaven is great. So then, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, reveals ultimately that our response exposes where our hearts are. Look at the end here. The very last portion of 35. To the end that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The Savior is going to reveal where your heart really is. Jesus is going to reveal where your heart is. One version puts it this way. Indeed, as a result of him, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and even a sword will pierce your own soul, Mary. What's being said here is your response to Jesus, God who took on human flesh and died for your sins, your response to him will indicate where your heart's at. It's going to expose your heart. You cannot be passive about Jesus. If you've not repented and trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, your heart has been revealed and exposed. Well, today, some of your hearts have been exposed. What is your response to Jesus? Have you seen the Lord's salvation? Has he enlightened you concerning your sin and your need of him? What is your response? I mentioned there are things in life that come before us that will change our destiny. Your response to the person of Jesus Christ will affect your eternal destiny. Don't harden your heart. We saw back in Second Corinthians that Satan blinds the minds of the unbelieving. You don't believe, he, 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 the Lord gives you over to Satan for your mind to be blinded. Don't do that. So today we've seen Simeon, Mary and Joseph, at the temple presenting the Lord. And, and Simeon, they come across him and this righteous, devout man looking for the salvation consolation of Israel. Uh, is able to hold the Savior before he dies in accordance to God's promise to him. And he says, My eyes have seen thy salvation. That's what Christmas is about. That's what it's about. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your son Jesus. I pray for anyone who's here or is listening that uh, they would see themselves in light of what your son has done. And if they haven't turned and trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray they would do so. They would believe in him. It's all about your son, Jesus. It's all about him. And Father, as we approach Christmas uh, so close, may we not get distracted by all the stuff, Lord God. May we 
have everything in right order where Christ is at the top. I pray for that. I pray for that in your son's precious name. Amen.